Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. It is so good to see you. I'm going to get this out of the way first. I caught him, so you don't have to worry, okay? (laughs) Here he is. So hopefully we'll keep an eye on him. He won't do any more shenanigans. If he does, we'll be posting on social media this week. So check that out. So anyway, we're so glad you guys are here. We're going to be continuing a series this morning entitled The Purpose of Christmas. Before I dive into that, I've got two quick announcements. Next weekend... It's going to be a little different because it's Christmas, right? Can you believe it? You got one week left. You better get your shopping in pretty quick if you haven't already done that. Um, But next Saturday is Christmas Eve. So we're going to do two Christmas Eve services, one at 4 p.m. and one at 5.30 p.m. And in both of those services, we are going to do a special communion service at the end of the service. And it makes it a special communion service because we're doing a communion on Christmas Eve. And that's going to be really fun. And I hope that you will be a part of that. Make it an incredible night of worship with you and your family. If your family's going to be in town, this would be a really cool thing to get out of the house and go do, to be able to come be a part of that service. So since we're doing that on Christmas uh, Eve, Christmas uh, Saturday night, uh, in lieu of a Sunday morning service, we're doing that one. So we won't have services on Sunday morning. We'll let you have that day to spend with your family. And so we're so glad you guys uh, have always come out. Christmas Eve has actually been one of the, the best attended, attended services of the whole fall So for us historically. So we just encourage you to come a little early so you have a little bit of extra time, find your spot and all that. Um, so we'll see you on uh, Saturday night. But let me just say also, as we're closing out the end of this year, I know many of you are percentage givers. You have committed to give a percentage. Many of you are tithers. You've, you've committed to give a tenth or whatever that percentage is. Or there's a certain amount that you've just said, I feel like God put this on my heart to give for the year. Well, we're down to the last two weeks. And I just want to encourage you to honor those commitments that you've made to God. Whatever those are, just want to ask you to be mindful of those as you close out the year. And I'm asking you to do, uh, I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not, that Leslie and I aren't trying to do, and our staff, and we're all trying to prepare for the end of the year. So I just wanted to give you a quick heads up while we still have a couple of weeks left, and that will just be such a blessing. I really believe that as we honor God in that way, He honors and blesses us in so many ways, countless ways. Uh, so I just encourage you to keep your promise, whatever that was that you made this year. So uh, without further ado, I'd love to dive into our message this morning. And in doing that, I want to just ask you a question. Have you ever had a day where nothing went according to plan? One of those days where you kind of wish, I should have just stayed in bed today. Like it would have been better off for everybody if I just stayed in bed. Maybe you've had an entire season that you, you have come through in your life where you're like, Man, my plans got completely hijacked. We, this, none of this turned out like I had planned for it to completely changed on me. Or maybe you're in the middle of it right now. 
And some of the changes have been painful and hard and difficult. Maybe it's been a, a loss of a loved one or somebody that you know has been really sick. Or maybe it is a, a loss of a relationship. Uh, it's going through a painful divorce. It's going through a financial crisis. Some other kind of issue that you were like, how did I not see this coming? But this is so crazy and painful and I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And if that is you and you're in that or you're best friend is going through that, or your kids, or your parents, or somebody you know, you could not have picked a better Christmas service to be at today, because we're going to be talking about what to do when God changes, I don't mean a little bit, but really changes your plans, completely messes up your plans. <clears throat> and what's interesting is that this is so relevant when we begin to look at the Christmas story, because let's be honest, if you know anything about, if you've read either of the Christmas stories, both in Matthew and in Luke, you know that everybody's plans got messed up. Everybody's plans got changed in that original Christmas story, starting with Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph, I mean, let's be honest, they were just hoping for a pretty non-remarkable, just low-key, peaceful, like, life. That's what they wanted to get married, have some kids, raise their kids with their friends and just kind of live there in Nazareth and like he'll be a carpenter, she'll be a carpenter's wife and it'll just be great. And we probably would have never heard anything about them in all of history. But God had other plans. God sent his angel Gabriel down to talk to Mary and say, hey, you're gonna have a baby. And this baby is not gonna be Joseph's. You're gonna have the baby before you're going to be pregnant with, with him before you even get married. And the baby is going to be God. And the daddy is also going to be God. And this is probably going to be hard to explain to people. They're not going to understand. And it's going to be a radical, life-altering thing. And there's going to be some tough parts of it. There's going to be some wonderful, incredible parts of it, too. But it radically changed their plans. The Christmas story also changed the plans of people like King Herod. I don't know if you know a whole lot about King Herod, but he was appointed the king over all of Judea, which meant all of Jerusalem and um, all of the, um, the uh, kind of nation of Israel. It was appointed by the, uh, uh, the Roman Empire. What was interesting is that he wasn't even fully Jewish, which the Jewish people were not real happy about that. But what was probably the most remarkable thing about King Herod was the fact that he was absolutely insane. He was cuckoo crazy, right? Completely. And you may not know this, but here's how we know this is because he suspected everybody was trying to take his throne, his position away from him. Even people that totally were not. And he wound up systematically killing everybody close to him because of suspicion that maybe, maybe they will take his throne away from him. He had his mother killed. He had his wife killed. He had his brother-in-law killed. He had his two sons killed because he thought, they might want my throne at some point. And they're kind of next in line, so he just starts killing off everybody, which absolutely makes sense when you put it in the context of the, the, the history that we know about him. So when the Magi, the wise men, come through the Judean area and meet with him and say, hey, we have come from the east, we saw the star, we've come to find the king of the Jews, which made his little antenna perk up because that's his title. I'm the king of the Jews. He was, uh, you can imagine, his immediate emotion is jealousy. 
and rage. And who is this? And it's a competition for my throne. But he played it cool with the Magi, right? He was like, oh, yeah, that's wonderful, guys. So as soon as you find him, and I know you're going to worship him and bring him the frankincense and, you know, uh, myrrh and gold. That's great. But send word back to me. Just send me a quick, you know, little text message. Let me know where it is. Uh, you know, obviously not text message, but let me know where it is so I can go and worship him too, which is totally not what he wanted to do because we see that later on, as God gets a, tells the wise men, you need to go home by a different route, and God gets a hold of Joseph and says, you need to get Mary and Jesus out of here and go down to Egypt. When, he, when Herod finds out that they have vacated, he goes in and and um, institutes a law in the, in the Bethlehem area that all the baby boys two years old and under are to be killed. He's a monster. And all of this happened because his plans got radically and completely changed, messed up. Next we have the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees of that time, they were looking and praying for the Messiah, the anointed one of God. And what they were looking and praying for, guys, was not what Jesus became. They wanted a political leader. They wanted a military savior. They wanted a power broker that would come in and give it to the Romans and finally get control back of their land so that they would finally have control of their region of the world and they could be like their once great nation of the Old Testament. They could finally be that kind of a... Israel once again, but they wanted to take it by force. Make no mistake about it. That's what the Jewish leaders wanted. And here comes Jesus coming along saying, I'm not coming to set up a human-made political or, or, or military kingdom. I'm coming to set up a spiritual kingdom that will be forevermore, that will last forever and ever and ever and ever. And here is the kind of rules or the kind of uh, way of life that I'm asking you to take on if you're gonna be a part of the kingdom. I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I want you to not just love your neighbor, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to pray for those who persecute you say, what, Jesus? Okay, like Jesus is the first one to ever teach something like that. It's so radical, it's so crazy. And the Jewish leaders did not know what to do with it. They're like, why, how, what are we supposed to do with this? It, it, it boggled their mind. And they, they were kind of blown away. And Jesus would even go so far as to say, and for you to show the world, all of the world, all ethnos, all people groups, that you belong to me, you're my disciples, you do this by loving one another. Wait a minute, Jesus, where's the part where you tell us to take up arms and go fight, go, go, go declare war? And Jesus never did that. He laid his life down, radically changing the Jewish leader's perspective completely. Next we have the shepherds. The shepherds were... Man, they're, they're laying out under the peaceful night sky, the stars of the Bethlehem hillside with all of their sheep that night, and all of a sudden, this light shines down from heaven, blinding light, scares them to death. And not just a, an angel, but a myriad of angels, thousands upon thousands upon thousands, potentially millions and millions of angels singing 
joy to the Lord, you know, that God's favor rests on men, that he is coming to earth, and this is an incredible moment. And guess what, shepherds? You get invited to come not only be the first to see Jesus, but to be the first to proclaim him publicly in the city. And this not only was a change of plans, but this was a radical, mind-bending moment for them because you may not know this socially and politically at that time, the shepherds were not invited, not even welcome at the synagogue. They could not go to church. I'm telling you, they would be kicked out. God goes to those kinds of people and says, you get to cut to the front of the line. You're gonna get to be the first to be introduced to Jesus and you're gonna be the first to proclaim it to the world. So in a very real sense, they became the first missionaries or ministers, if you will, to proclaim the good news of Jesus to the world. What a beautiful change of events. And then you have the innkeeper. The innkeeper with the uh, influx of all the people because of the census that was being taken in uh, Bethlehem. He probably hadn't planned for this. This was a radical change of events, and his house was full back then. People would rent out rooms and parts of their houses way before, you know, VRBO and Airbnb. People were doing this in the first century, right? They're renting out, hey, you guys can stay over here. And, but the houses were all full. And Mary and Joseph, I'm sure, had gone door after door after door after door knocking to say, you, you, do you have any room? I'm sure Mary's telling Joseph, listen, the contractions are getting closer together. We gotta find a place, like, now, please, you gotta do this, you know? And so the innkeeper's like, well, I've got the stable. You can, over here with the animals, if you'd like, you can come. And there wasn't really a plan. It was radical in terms of how it changed their plans completely. And finally, the wise men or the magi. Here they were. All we know is that they were somewhere in the west, they see the star in the east, and they begin to follow it. They changed their whole life plans. This, this had to have taken months, possibly years, for them to make their way all the way over to where they were able to meet Mary and Joseph and Jesus. But they radically changed their life to seek and to find that which God had shown them that they were going to find, this king of the Jews, the savior of the world, and they came to worship him, to recognize him for who he, who he was and is. And it was beautiful. Completely changed their plans. But this is what God does. My question for you is, before we go any further is, have you gotten your plans changed recently? Has God radically messed up your plans? So the next question we gotta ask is, what does God, um, what is he doing? What does God why does God change our plans? What, what is he up to? What is he trying to accomplish? I want to give you three biblical reasons why God has changed and is changing your plans. Here's the first one. God changes our plans in order to get our attention, to be able to get our, us to slow down long enough to listen to him, to focus on him. Have you ever tried to get a hold of someone and you get the little automated message, mailbox is full. Isn't that the most infuriating thing ever to get? Like, clean out your mailbox so I can leave you a message. And they're not responding to their texts, and so you're like, wow, I'm really getting ghosted here. But I really suspect that sometimes God feels that way with us. We're just too busy. God, I'd like to talk to you right now, but I really gotta take this, okay? I was like, uh, I'll talk to you later. And we do that inadvertently without realizing it sometimes we we get in this pattern of busyness of life and I, I 
can't help but think that God is saying to us sometimes the same thing he was saying to Israel in the Old Testament. Psalm 81, verse 13. I love this. I wish my people would, let's say it together, I wish my people would listen to me. I wish they would listen. And what is implied in this listening business is slowing down long enough to listen. Slowing down long enough to focus on God. And I think that it is true of all of us, myself included, that we suffer from some spiritual ADD, attention deficit disorder. I know I do. We're just going, going, going so fast. It is easy to miss things that God is trying to show us, things that he's trying to do to, to reorient, redirect, to change direction of our life. And why is he trying to do that? Because he's trying to save us many times from destructive consequences that we don't see coming. We think that the way that we're on and the direction that we're going, we're fine. I don't need any input. God, I'm good. I don't need any wise counsel. I'm good. I don't need anybody else. I'm good right? It reminds me of Proverbs 14, 12, where here's what we're warned. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that, let's say it together, a way that appears, it looks on the surface, it looks to be right. Like, oh yeah, this will work out great for me. This is a shortcut. This is a life hack. I can get where I need to go faster. But in the end, it leads to what? To, to death. There are many ways that appear. They seem to be culturally like really relevant and like this is the way to go. But God may be going, hold up, wait a minute. No, don't go that way. That's gonna totally destroy your marriage. It's gonna totally destroy some of the relationships in your life. It's gonna destroy your relationship with me, God may say. Like it's gonna, it's gonna force a wedge between you and I. You don't see it coming, but I see the big picture and I'm trying to warn you don't go that way, or it's going to destroy your relationship with your kids. It's going to hurt you. This current path that you're on could destroy you, and it's so important that we slow down long enough. And here's one thing that I have learned through the years, something, something Leslie and I have seen over and over. The larger the disruption, the more important the change. God usually, he really will disrupt your life. Like When it's like, whoa, wait, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening right now. Well, there may need to be a big, important change that needs to happen in your life right now. I remember a conversation I had early, early, early in my days of ministry, right out of seminary, and I was pastoring the very first church that I was at, and man, we were working, working, working all the time. I, I don't think I had taken a day off in about a year. And I remember a friend of mine in, in the ministry sat down with me, and he was a very blunt, kind of frank kind of guy. And he just said, hey, Will, so are you just trying to get a divorce? And it, I couldn't believe what he said. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm, yeah, I'm busy, but I'm doing all this stuff for God. And like, I'm, I mean, I, and I'm like just barely keeping my head above water. I feel like I'm, like I'm just barely getting stuff done. Like, I, every week, it's just like, go as fast as I can to try to get this done. I know that's how you feel right now. That's what it seems like to you right now in the moment. But I got very frustrated with him in that moment. But he said, listen, if you keep going down this path, like, you, she's not, you won't stay together. 
Seen this happen too many, your kids aren't gonna love you or respect you, and you know what? And that, that feeling they're gonna have for you, they will ascribe that to God and they'll walk away from him too. Is that what you want? And it really ticked me off. But you know what? He was exactly right, and I needed to hear it. And there's some changes that needed to happen. And I needed to stop acting like the Sabbath was optional and start taking some time off and actually being with my family more. And that was so important. And I tell you that today to say, listen, learn from my almost tragic mistake here. Maybe God is trying to get your attention. And maybe that getting your attention, that disruption, it's so big and it's so frustrating. Right now, you are blinded by the frustration and the anger of the moment, but don't let it blind you from what God is trying to show you. There is something more important. There's a bigger change that needs to happen. He's trying to get your attention. And don't let your anger and frustration blind you from what God is trying to do because that way that seems right to you may be ending in some destruction coming. This is part of the reason why God messes up our plans. So here's the next one. Why does God change our plans? Number two, God changes your plans because he has a better plan. He's got a better plan. He absolutely does. And I know it's hard to believe that sometimes. One of the promises that we have loved through the years that gone back to is in Jeremiah 29, 11. I love this promise that God gives to his people through the prophet Jeremiah. He says, for I know the thoughts and the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, says the Lord. Thoughts and plans for welfare and peace, not for evil, to give you hope in your final, let's say it together, final outcome. Now, now it might not give you a ton of peace right in the moment when you're going through the conflict and this difficulty. God will be with you and he will give you some peace in that. But if there's, a, there's an outcome that's coming, God's saying, if you'll trust me and you'll follow me, the ways that I have for you, my plans for you, I want to lead you to a better place. Again, going to the early days of ministry, I had sort of set my sights on being a pastor in an existing church, and I tried. <laughs> Let me just tell you, I tried. I tried getting a job at an existing church. It, it was really tough, and I had closed door after closed door, and I feel like God was really being clear that he did not want me to go that route. He wanted me to be a church planter, a church starter, to begin a church where there was not a church, or in terms of re reaching people that were not already invested in a church, or not already in a church, and to be able to have a church like that. And it was a radical shift because that, if you've ever started anything, a business or an organization or started anything in your community, you know it isn't easy. It's hard. It's very difficult. And I was kind of married to the idea of like, oh, God, I'd really like to go to a place that already has like air conditioning and a place to park the car and a building and, you know, like already has a salary coming in and, you know, we don't have to like hope for that someday. And uh, it was a radical shift. But let me just tell you guys, I'm so glad I listened to God. And I'm not even at the final outcome yet, but I have already seen God bring welfare and peace, blessing and provision over and over and over by picking this path 
This church wouldn't be here if I hadn't said yes to that call. God certainly could pick somebody else, and he probably would have, but I'm so glad he picked me. I'm so glad that I was said yes, and I tell you that story to say maybe God has you on the cusp of some kind of decision like that, where you look at it, and all you see are problems and challenges, and it's going to be hard, and it's going to be expensive, and it's going to be, I don't know how long I'm going to be able to last, and you know what? God will provide exactly what you need when you need it. He is the great Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, and it's beautiful, and where he guides, he provides. Let me say that again. This is something we have learned over and over, where God guides, he provides. Listen, we've got to slow down so we know even where he's telling us. He's guiding us. Beautiful. So why does God change our plans? Here's the third one. God changes our plans to get us to trust him, to be able to learn deep, abiding confidence and faith and trust in him. Those things don't come overnight. Those things have to be fostered over time. They have to be learned over time. They have to be something that we have to teach our mind and our emotions and our body to stay still, stay committed, keep going this path, don't give up, and God will bless it in time. I wanna give you a passage of scripture right now that has been a prayer that we've gone back to over and over. And, and maybe you've never thought about it. You've probably heard this verse before, before I share it with you. But you've maybe never thought about it as a prayer. But I want to give it to you today as a prayer that you could pray. Because some of you, I suspect, even where you are right now in your life, you're going through a big change, a big transition time. And it's tough and it's painful. But God is trying to get your attention. And I want to give you this this, this prayer, because, and, and the two ways that I have seen more times than not that God is trying to get people to trust him more through a transition is either through relational conflict, there's conflict in your marriage, with your family, with your parents, with your kids, with your best friend, at work, there's relational conflict, or there's financial stress on you right now. And many of you would say, I got both. <laughs> I got both going on. And God, in those moments, he's saying, okay, do you feel where that's coming from? That is an opportunity to trust me more, okay? That is what I've seen over and over. And the best response you can have is to say, God, I trust you with them, with that, with this issue, with this issue at work, with this issue in my family. I'm gonna trust you, which means... Jesus, show me how that you would do this if you were me. And, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a big con. This isn't just wearing a WWJD bracelet. This is like really a deep spiritual di discipleship moment where you say, God, what would you do? You put him in your context. If you were the husband to Leslie, the, the father of my three girls, the pastor of Brad's Fellowship, what would you have me do next? What would you do? What would be the wise and loving thing to do next? And whatever the answer to that is, I want to encourage you to proceed with confidence and, and use this prayer when you do that. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. To trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. This just means in those areas that you don't understand that you're going to trust him. Okay, because there's a lot of areas that we don't understand. This doesn't mean don't use the knowledge that God has given you. You need to use the knowledge that you have been given, right? That there are times where we have to walk by faith, not by sight, but this doesn't mean we don't use our sight at all. 
try, try getting behind the wheel of your car and driving without sight, right? That doesn't work. But God will be with you in the moments where you don't understand and you need to keep going forward. You can trust him in those moments. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Now, here's what this looks like when you turn this into a prayer. Lord, right now I'm going to trust you with all of my heart. And here are the areas that I am tempted to not trust you right now. The, heart, the areas of my life that are so hard to trust you, it's with this person, with this issue, with the finances, with at work, with the kids, with the, and you just make your list. You give them to God. This is, this is the power of, of prayer that has been lost on us sometimes. But taking the word of God, putting it into a prayer, a personal conversation is such a powerful thing to do. And then to say, I'm not going to depend on my own understanding, but rather I'm going to lean on yours. I'm going to seek your will in all I do. What would your will look like? And you can go back to that. If you were me, what would, this, what would be the wise and loving thing to do? What would you do next? And then you can just thank him. I want to thank you for showing me which path to take. And I'm asking you right now if you would help make that clear. I wish that you would just help me to begin to make steps forward in the right direction. Use this as a prayer. It's so powerful when we do. So here's the question. What happened to those who trusted God through the, the changes? I'm, I'm, I'm going to just take a moment to talk about Mary and Joseph because it was so radical to see what happened. As Mary trusted God and she stepped out on faith and began to trust it was so beautiful in that moment when she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. I'm sure it, the, the gossip probably heated up in Nazareth, and she's like, I need to get out of town for a little bit, you know, until I'm, I'm having this baby or close to the marriage or the wedding, rather. So she goes to see Elizabeth, right? And when she walks into Elizabeth's house, before she even gets in the house, Elizabeth says, this baby that is the cousin, he leapt with joy when you walked into the, my presence. And we know now this is John, the baptizer, the cousin of Jesus, the front runner for the ministry of Jesus. And she says, and how privileged am I that the mother of my Lord would come to visit me. She's blown away and she's affirming and she's verifying everything God has told Mary about what's gonna happen. This scared teenage girl needed that in that moment. And she goes on to say, and you have trusted him in the word that he has spoken to you. You've trusted him. And now he is blessing you and he is honoring you and he's pouring out his favor on your life. And she trusted that. And there was this beautiful magnificat that comes out of her that we know now it's a beautiful prayer. It's a beautiful song, really, that she sings. It's in Luke chapter 1, verses, starting with verses uh, 46 and 47. And here's the beginning of it. Mary said, My soul glorifies God the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She's like, God is making good on all his promises. I trust him. And when Mary and Joseph, later after Jesus is born, bring him to the temple on the eighth day to consecrate him, the rite of purification, it was called, there's this man of God, this devout man of God who was a prophet, Simeon, he comes up, and the Holy Spirit, we're told, told Simeon, you will not pass from this earth until you see the Messiah. 
and he sees baby Jesus and he knows that is the one. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. And he goes and gathers up that child in his arms and he tells his mother and dad and he tells the, the priest that is there that this child will be a light to the whole world. He will be a light to the Gentiles and the Jews. He has come to illuminate the salvation of God Almighty for all people. And his parents walk away changed by this. We're told that the child's father and mother, this is in Luke 2, 33, the child's father and mother were amazed. They marveled, another translation said, at what was said about him. Praise God for what we see coming to pass, that we stepped out and trusted God, and he is making good on his promises. So when God messes up our plans, he wants to get our attention. He has a better plan, and he wants us to trust him. So where do you need to trust him this Christmas? Where are you right now? Where are you in your life right now where you need to trust God? You need to let this Christmas story become an inspiration point for you to change direction and to trust him. I just want to encourage you to do that. And don't let the frustration of this moment blind you from what God is trying to show you. It happens to so many of us. And it's so easy to give up hope when you're in the middle of it. But never let a, pardon me, never let a temporary um, circumstance steal your eternal hope. That God is saying, I want to give you this hope. This hope of this final outcome that's coming. You've got to trust me for it. And I just want to encourage you to do that today. And here's our prayer today. As we close out, I want you to pray this with me. Just this, and let me just read it to you first. Father God, I surrender my plans to you today. I give you my attention and I trust that you have a better plan. I'm going to put my trust in you. I put my confidence in you. And maybe for some of you, you need to begin that, that change of plans is that God is showing you today is the day you need to become a child of God. You need to trust Jesus for the forgiveness of sin and to be the Lord of your life. And for others of you who say, I have done that will, but I've got something else I'm facing right now that I need to trust God with. And I want to invite you right now in this moment of prayer to give it to him. Would you? You give it to him. Trust you with all my heart. Lean not on my own understanding. In all my ways, acknowledge you. Follow your will, and you will show me which path to take. Let's pray to him right now. Jesus, we thank you so much for your love. I pray for every person across this room right now that would honestly have to say, God's trying to get my attention. He's been messing up some plans. He's been changing plans. He's been redirecting my life. He's trying to anyway, but I haven't really been paying the kind of attention I need to. Would you just start right there and just say, God, I give you my attention right now. You, might, you got my attention. You got my full and complete, undivided attention right here, right now, Lord. And I trust you. I give you my attention and I trust you that you have a better plan for my future a better plan for my family, a better plan for me spiritually. And I trust that right now. If you're surrendering to God right now, your current circumstances in exchange for eternal hope, would you just lift your hand? I want to pray for you right now. Anybody here saying, yep, I'm giving it all over to Jesus. 
I do not want to continue to wallow in the fear, frustration, confusion, anger, sorrow, sadness, depression that you have been in, stuck in for a long time. Would you just give it to him? Lord, right now, I trust you with the things I don't understand. I trust you with the things that I cannot seem to change in my own power. I trust you with those things. And I ask you right now to meet me in the middle of this moment, that you'd show me your will. What is the wise and loving thing to do next? What's the next right thing to do? And I put my yes on the table, Lord. I'm willing to do it. Would you commit that to him right now? God, yes. I'll do it. It's scary. It's going to push me out of my comfort zone. No doubt about it. It will. But it'll be the best thing you ever did. Would you tell him yes? You may lower your hands. I pray, God, right now for those who can hear my voice online in the room right here, right now, that are saying, God, I want you. God, I want a relationship with you. But I have felt so distant, so far away. I have craved this thing that I have run from, this thing that I have been not willing to be open to, but now I am. Would you just tell him, Lord Jesus, I'm open. I receive you right now. Would you forgive my sin? Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Be the Lord of my life from this day forward. I put all my confidence in you right now. Every bit I can muster, I give you all that I've got. I put all my faith, my trust in you right now. Would you tell him that? If you just ask Jesus to be your forgiver of sin and the Lord of your life for the first time, would you just lift your hand as an act of just, uh, God bless you right there, act of faith. Anybody else? God bless you right back over here. I see your hand. And back over here. God bless you, little buddy. That's so sweet. Anybody else? Give my life to Jesus right now. God, we just thank you so much for meeting us right where we are. We thank you that the Christmas story is just saturated in your mercy and your compassion and your love to be not to hold our sins against us, not to hold our stupid mistakes against us, but that you were so generous and loving that you're willing to meet us right in the middle of our lives and help redirect, change the plans. But that requires surrender on our part. We offer you that surrender today in Jesus' name. And it's in that name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.